folks, and welcome to The Farm, a podcast dedicated to culture, parapolitics, and high weirdness in all its many forms. This is your host, Recluse, a.k.a. Steven Snyder, the longtime curator of the Visa blog and author of The Art, The Secret History of Cywar, Conspiratainment, and the Shattering of Reality, Book One. If you like what you hear here today, be sure to check me out at visaview.blogspot.com. That's V-I-S-U-P-V-I-E-W, all one word, .blogspot.com. And procure a copy of that book, Amount of the Works, at the Farm's official store, which is at the Farm Podcast, all one word, the Farm Podcast dot store. And please consider signing up for the Farm's Patreon. On the lowest tier, you get two additional full-length shows per month. That's between three and four hours of bonus material with exclusive guests and content. Content. The upper tier, you get that in addition to access to the farm's monthly Zoom party meetings, my dispatches from my various journeys across the United States and all the weird hotspots that I hit up, State of the Unions, where you get my musings on the geopolitical state of the world, and so much more. It's a lot of content, folks, so please consider checking that out. All right, guys, the Temple of Babylon Chronozone is back in the house with us for this outing. We had them on last December to discuss the recent transmissions. Naturally, it unfolded against the backdrop of chaos and incredible weirdness for years truly, and it would seem that the Maelstrom has continued unabated into this year. Joining us from the Temple is Bobby today. Bobby, thank you for dropping by, sir. It's great to be here. Such an honor to rejoin you here at the farm. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you back on, and this is going to be a fantastic show. So we're using the recent workings of the Temple Babylon Chronozone has been conducting as a launching point. They've chronicled, chronicled some of their most recent works in the aptly titled Listening Post Alpha Journal, Volume 2. It's ambitious to say nothing else. Combining such elements as the Spirit Box, the Alan L. Uh, Greenfield Cypher System, and especially David Lynch's Twin Peaks, they've developed one of the most timely magical systems currently in play. It's a little cybernetic cultural research unit in there, some chaos magic, a little hellier, and the invisible spirit of Philip K. Dick lingers over it all. But in the end, it's something new for the times we are currently struggling with. So we're going to cover a bunch of subjects here, along with theurgy, reality shifting, possibly Native American earthworks, lots of weird shit, and inevitably Twin Peaks. It is going to be something to behold. So on that note, let us start the show. Bobby, so my understanding is that the opening of the mouse ceremony and the headless rite are central to the introduction of the latest journal. So first off, let's unpack these concepts. I've talked about the headless rite a time or two on here, but can you give the kids a refresher course? Yeah, um, headlessness is a, uh, a concept that's pretty central to uh, magic and, the, and, and religious traditions that involve um, mediumship channeling and so that's what we do here at lpa to some degree um most of our channeling is done through the psb7 spirit box 
but there is a, a degree of um, emptiness that you have to achieve in order to receive the message. If I could so, interrupt you for a second, Bobby. Like, are, are, you, yeah. are you talking about the actual like headless rite from Alexandria? Because my understanding is it was more of an exorcism, or are you using it towards like a different like the PGM? Well, yeah. Um, well, there's a couple of different uses for the the uh, headless rites in the PGM. There's um, and when we're saying the word exorcism too, um, it's like what exactly is being exorcised? It, it changes, and what's being evoked changes over time so um with the pgm material you have uh, a headless right where you're basically evoking set um in, in order to perform a curse um and you're kind of emptying yourself out of all of your like wholesome godly qualities and calling in um the the, the qualities of the dark one to fill you up um so that you can uh effectively change reality um then you know you have uh this whole uh tradition around headlessness that's we don't actually um i mean you don't hear people talk call it the headless ride or anything like that but there's a lot of stuff where um you know we we magicians enchant skulls um talk to skulls um and I mean, different kinds of skulls have different qualities and, and can be used to talk to different types of entities and whatnot. Um, so that's that's all part of the tradition as well. And that's really more of what we're going for. Um, not not necessarily that we are doing it to others, but where it's, it's like a it's like a we come to a nexus point, I guess, in those traditions where it's a. Uh, you're banishing aspects of the self that are not useful going into the the channeling sessions and you're you're calling in um whatever spirit it is that you want to talk to um or or channel uh, and we're not necessarily now these rites that we're doing are not necessarily um we're not necessarily evoking these spirits or invoking these spirits into our actual bodies where or our heads we're uh doing these headless rites and these opening of the mouth ceremonies also with uh implements or you know uh like fake skulls uh, like crystal skulls um uh that we've enchanted or uh, the PSB seven spirit box itself. Um, but yeah, we see this with, uh, we see in the history, like with John the Baptist, um, his head was severed, uh, maybe for, uh, purposes of mediumship. Um, also, you know, it was rumored that, uh, Baphomet, the head of Baphomet was actually, the head of John the Baptist, that the Templars had the head of John the Baptist. And um, that's that's uh, what was going on with the, uh, the 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 ceremonies there is that they were calling up John the Baptist. Um, then you have the Bornless Rite uh, from Alistair Crowley. And now this is um, kind of a bad translation on the stuff from the PGM that we have better translations of now. He changed the name of the right to the Bornless right, um, supposedly because 
you know, uh, headless can be uh, translated as one without birth or one who has yet to come or something like that. Um, but we've, we know now that he was really, he was wrong and, uh, but it's still a powerful ride. Um, I've performed it. I think other members of LPA have performed it. It's performed often for, uh, evocation of the Holy guardian angel. Um, you're, you exercise aspects of yourself. You call in your Holy guardian angel, and then you, um, maybe transmit messages or perform, uh, magic, under the auspices of your HGA. In his case, that would have been uh, the angel Iwas. Now, um, he came up with, he came up with this method um, of merging these rites when he was basically failing at doing his uh, abrimelin ritual. And he claims that repeated, uh, performance of this right of the bornless right uh helped him actually come into contact with i was now moving forward uh we have alan greenfield who uh did some work with the alw cipher uh the secret cipher of the ufonauts and uh, the secret rituals of the men in black are his two landmark uh texts when it comes to that and he rewrote the Bornless Rite to evoke beings without head. Um, so this is a little bit different. And these beings without head are these ultra-terrestrial entities like Lom, Iwas, um, just to name a couple. And he, he basically... Uh, replaces all the names of the angels and whatnot and all the uh, the Gnostic barbarous words with these uh, the names of these entities that have come up in uh, ufonautical investigations like starting I guess in the 40s you know or I guess it goes back to Iwas like 1904 but mostly we're talking about uh, a demonology of the 20th century being evoked there and um, it's that right is not exactly um, designed to make contact with your holy guardian angel. It's, uh, you know, you're, you're actually evoking these ultra terrestrial entities and trying to initiate conversation or uh, initiation. So also headlessness comes up a lot in Twin Peaks, which Twin Peaks is pretty central to the mythos of listening post-alpha. Listening Post Alpha is, of course, the name um, that Major Garland Briggs, it's it's the name of the place where he works. It's the uh, top secret project um, that he works under where he basically is tasked with listening out and monitoring reports of any uh, extraterrestrial or uh, ultra-terrestrial activity uh, with, a, with a heavy focus on the areas around Twin Peaks. So uh, Major Garland Briggs also uh, maybe slips into another dimension. Um, in the show, it's not really clear if he's if he's if he's like in the lodges. If he he's definitely in some sort of transdimensional. He's got some sort of travel going on. It's and it's uh, it's time travel, but it's also spatial, you know. And he shows up in different places. His body shows up in a couple of different places, and 
in season three, uh, they find his body in bed with the head of um, Ruth Davenport. And uh, anyways, he's, he, he's, uh, he's found headless. Um, then we also have also connected to the same uh, case in Twin Peaks. Um, William Hastings, who is also uh, his head is, is quite literally squeezed off by a woodsman. Um, upon seeing the zone, the the place that he's always looked for, and uh, he, he's his and the entirety of his esoteric investigations have been aimed at, you know, adventuring around and and, tr- and looking for this uh, transdimensional portal. And once he finds it, um, his his uh, everyone loses their head. Actually. <laughs> So headlessness haunts the Twin Peaks mythos. And uh, so we're, we're trying to get at a few things here. Um, you know, through the cipher, there's an indication that headlessness is um, important for channeling. So that also implies that you actually keep your physical head. You can't really, I mean, unless you want to go full necromancy, you know, um, which we don't hear at, at least in post alpha Kingsport, uh, we won't be removing any actual heads, but yeah, there, there's this whole thing about becoming a channel, becoming sort of a portal, uh, an opening, um, for communications from the other realms. And, um, the, uh, the cipher by the cipher headless equals channel, and um, I think headlessness equals something like my throne, my bride, uh, coronation. And there's all kinds of uh, multiplicitous uh, esoteric downloads within those correspondences. But anyways, it seemed, it seemed very central to what, what was being done in the past, what's being done in Twin Peaks. And so, uh, yeah, we decided to uh, explore it in, in the journal this year. Yeah, it's interesting because I've started to notice that there really is this rich tradition from the Middle Ages of, um, you know, these uh, quote unquote talking heads. Of course, uh, Baphomet is the most well known, but uh, a charge that was also levied against the uh, Sabians of Haran, uh, who were sort of an esoteric Islamic sect. Uh, Haran was in, uh, I believe, modern day Syria a very uh, celebrated city in terms of the esoteric tradition. In fact, they were still more or less openly uh, worshiping the Sumerian moon gods in up to, mm-hmm. I think, like the 10th or 11th century. But um, they, again, had a full temple decked out with the sort of uh, theotric astral travel in it. And uh, again, one of the accusations levied against them was the possession of talking heads that they supposedly used as receptacles for the intelligences that they were channeling. And even in some cases, I believe it was um, Albert Magus, uh, the famed uh, friar, or well, he might not have been a friar, but certainly a famed theologian, uh, who was also accused uh, by Thomas Aquinas of having a mechanical talking head that wouldn't shut up. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. It's, it's, I mean, yeah, this stuff goes way back. I mean, it goes back way further than that, you know, um, all the way to the Egyptians, probably to the Babylonians, you know, this idea that you could, you can somehow, um, yeah, that you can somehow enchant a head 
and and have it speak to you you know it's an obvious connection to the realms of the dead and the realms of, of the otherworldly uh, the consciousness is set free but maybe somehow you can draw it back in you know or uh yeah to direct its astral travel you know from from the linkage the physical link of the body is uh seems like a pretty obvious you know magical um magical thing to do you know uh but yeah it goes it goes way back and um you, you know like with the the opening of the mouth was also a big deal for us uh over the last year in our research um and yeah that's i mean the ancient egyptians had serious ceremonies that you know uh they they weren't trying to hide from anybody you know that <laughs> they were they were definitely enchanting heads and, and opening up mouths in order to uh talk to certain gods in order to uh help the pharaoh along on his journey through the afterlife and, and all that good stuff yeah so what is the opening of the mouth ceremony then yeah it's i mean it's it's just that it's um you know the uh the uh the pharaoh or the mummy is uh they they uh whisper spells you know into into its ears and they uh do a ceremonial uh opening with certain special tools they they open the ears the eyes the mouth and um then they fill it with herbs and all kinds of other special stuff uh, in order to preserve it. And then they use it for astral travel, uh, channeling and the like. And um, there's evidence that as time went by, uh, they stopped doing it to actual bodies. Um, and we're, they were doing it more so with, uh, with idols you know um but yeah i don't think that the practice ever really really waned you know i think people were doing it more more in a folkish context in a in a, in a folk witchcraft sort of th way you know um and we definitely see that you know uh documented you know in the last thousand years at least but uh, um it ties into the work of the lpa because uh, we were we're receiving some esoteric intel, you know, through the spirit box transmissions um, that kind of led us into this direction. The only name of a goddess that came up was Sashat um, during, and it came up during a time when the foundation rites for the Egyptians would have been happening. Um, now, other goddesses of the flood cycles started to come up later like Heket um who's like a frog goddess um and, but by the cipher we noticed that Sashat equals the Nile and then we were looking at the flooding of the Nile and how you know most of the magical uh tradition of the Egyptians seemed to be based on that and um the flood equaled time the flood cycle in Egypt is concurrent with the heliacal rising of Sirius and Sothis, and by the cipher, Sothis equals cycle. So then we started looking at the uh, the goddess of Sothis, who is Sopdet. Now, 
by the cipher SOPDA equals 93, which also equals the flood and time. So there was something to these goddesses and connecting to them at a certain time, a time around on the Sothis cycle. Uh, so by the cipher time cycle equals Sothis plus time or Sothis plus the flood or simply the flood cycle. So this flood cycle is very important to any entity that can speak through this cipher or through the methods of LPA. There's been a lot of uh, uh, fuss made about time cycles in the synchromistic community, uh, starting with Kiel, I guess, you know? And um, so we found our answer and we started looking at all the different magical techniques. And what we found was the, the, uh, the foundation ceremonies the foundation rites that happen after the flood and so we two stuck out um and the main one that stuck out was the opening of the mouth clearly but also um another ceremony called the um i'm sorry the opening of the mouth and the stretching of the cord. And by the cipher, those two ceremonies equal each other, 271. Um, and so we kind of broke this down into like a cyclical thing around the flood and around the cycle of Sirius. Um, so we took it that the flood is this time of an influx of messages and events that occur after the heliacal rising in Sirius. As the flood equals 93, it also equals silent or listen and message. So, uh, again, we were researching the Nile River Pantheon and the foundation rites. Um, the opening of the mouth gives elaborate rites of physical and metaphysical opening of the sensory organs of a mummy or an idol and enchanting it. And so we were like, yeah, that's that will really work for us you know <laughs> let's let's check it out and then when we started doing that kind of work then we started uh realizing these other things um and so yeah the the when sop debt uh we started studying we kept studying a uh, sop debt and we figured out that um she was actually connected to the goetia what we call the Goetia today and the 72 Goetic demons. Um, you see this actually in the Golden Dawn system, but people don't make much out of it. And I'm not really sure why, because it seems to be at the, like the basis of your esoterics around the, this Goet, the, any Goetic system using these demons. Um, and it makes sense, you know, that the deacons would be the demons. They, uh, they rise in the east, um, like east of Eden, you know, uh, where Cain was was sent, where the infernal ones are, and the, the land of Nod. And um, you know, they they rise in the east and they they're they hide in the in the south in the southern hemisphere throughout the year. And um, but during the time of the Egyptians, they had a they had a whole system of working with these entities. And it's lost the time as far as I know. Um, and that's where I guess the, um, I guess the, the decline and the, uh, 
the view of of these entities comes with i'm not sure if it's judaism or christianity i'm not sure if um, there is actually a jewish tradition of working with these entities but there is definitely um, in the testament of solomon you know uh, i think which i think was written yes sometimes like 15 1600s uh, i'm not really totally sure but it's definitely not as ancient as it claims to be um it tells a story of, of Solomon calling up all these demons um, who are associated with certain stars. And they all, all these demons suddenly move from being beneficent to being evil and bringing curses and, 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 the, and the like. And um, I thought that was interesting too, because, you know, this, uh, this connection to the inundation the flooding, you know, it's not, uh, I think when I started reading about this stuff, I thought that um, the floods in Egypt, I thought there was actual rain in Egypt during these times, but it's not, that's not the case. Um, Egypt pretty much stays parched throughout the year, but the water um, comes from the blue Nile. It actually, the main source of runoff for these floods comes from Lake Tana, which is in Ethiopia. And now, what is rumored to be to be at Lake Tana? Well, none other than uh, the Ark of the Covenant. <laughs> you know, so I, I don't think I don't know that it's actually there, but it's rumored. You know, and, and maybe it, it was there at one time, if it's even a real thing. But it would make sense, you know, um, that that relic would be up there, and that this sort of um, system based around the inundation in Egypt would connect to the control of all of these time-based entities that are headed off by uh, Sopdet, you know, and um, Sopdet, her, uh, the date of her deaconship during uh, this, during the Egyptian, uh, I guess we're putting it back I guess we're going back about 4,000 years. Um, it would have been a cancer. Um, well, the, the first day of cancer, Sopdet is the main uh, deacon or demon, however you want to look at it. But also, that's the Feast of John the Baptist. That's when he has his, his uh, feast day. So um, he baptizes by water, you know, so you have this inundation going on. Um, in the symbolism, I, I just we found all that very interesting. So, again, going back to uh, water and the flood, you know, water by the cipher also equals uh, oracles, gnosis, wine, wisdom, all this kind of stuff. So, following this sort of uh, cipher based metalogic, you know, um, we felt like this was all signs to continue on with this research and kind of uh, begin emulating these old traditions and trying to uh, base our uh, research and our, our channelings around these, these, uh, these certain times of the year. Uh, another, another interesting note is of course that um, these, a lot of these dates um, were like, you know, midsummer and all that, it's, it's all connected to the serpent, all connects to the serpent mound as well, you know, and, and, uh, you know, the, the serpent mound could have been also maybe a, 
a huge opening of the mouth kind of ceremony you know you have and i think it, it now correct me if i'm wrong but i think um it's it's right after the the summer equin or the summer equinox the summer solstice that uh the sun rises on the the egg and the head the mouth right is that right i believe so yeah so you have this yeah so and that would be and right after the summer solstice you go into cancer and when you hit cancer then you have um you have sopped at as your deacon or serious and then uh John the Baptist has his feast day the very next day, you know, so this is all, it all seems, you know, it's, it's all very, it comes together uh, very much in like a composite sketch, you know, all this headlessness and um, this inundation by the waters uh, and all this kind of stuff. So that's, that's kind of, that's kind of uh, what led our, us to, uh, to taking on these, these uh, rites. That's interesting because I believe you were going to allude to um, some happenings around the time frame when we were uh, when we did our interview last year, which was around Christmas 2022. Uh, you'll probably be interested to know that I uh, around that time frame was exploring a mysterious community in Pennsylvania that has been reputed to house a secret society with a cult dedicated to. Uh, Andreas, I believe is how it's pronounced, the great Marquis of Hell. He was the 16th oh, yes. of two spirits. The Goetia, he was uh, said to have the wings of an angel and the head of an hour raven, and he rode on a strong black wolf and uh, was reputed to be a highly dangerous demon and uh, apparently even killed a conjuring magician or two. Oh, wow. Yeah, it, very interesting. And I wonder, yeah, and I wonder where he fits in on this cycle. You know, um, he would obviously have a time of the year that's uh, very important for him. And, uh, you know, I didn't know this stuff early on uh, in my magical career. I started working at Goetia and I kind of saw that Golden Dawn stuff and, uh, about the deacons and kind of like, it's like, ah, you know, that doesn't really, you know, whatever. And I think, you know, some of the some of the issues that I had were definitely due to the fact that I hadn't really absorbed that gnosis completely. But I think what you're getting when you're doing these sort of like um, chicken scratch goisha is is really it's nothing compared to what you know the the Egyptians were doing who were originally make who originally made contact with these entities you know so it is it is very dangerous um, but if you do if you do enough research then you can kind of you can kind of understand these entities as a composite sketch. Now, you know, sometimes that a composite sketch looks a lot like someone like Killer Bob, you know, so, <laughs> you know, and these demons, uh, they're definitely nothing to play around with, you know. Um, but when we're doing our opening of the mouth and our headless rites, we're usually trying to call in uh, entities that are familiar to us or entities that, uh, or these sort of the energies of, of the time, you know, so we're not necessarily always trying to call in an entity. We're trying to kind of gauge messages uh, from the, the spirit of the age of the moment, you know, stuff like that. So, but yeah, it's, uh, I mean, no matter what you do, anytime you're doing magic, 
period, it's very dangerous. And I think a lot of the people that are going back into, into the old stuff and thinking that, well, you know, I've really got it all here. I think they're only, they've only got a piece, you know? And so, um, yeah, I think the more, the more that they can, at least a line up line with the time that these entities are supposed to be called. I think they're, they're in for better results. So how about the, uh, the palm and the egg ceremony? Where does that fit into what you guys have been doing? Because the seven year palm. Oh, okay. Egg. Yeah. The, yeah. It's a seven year palm and egg cycle. So there's no real ceremony. It's just, um, you know, I'm not, we're, we're studying it at the LPA. We're not really sure, you know, um, we haven't worked it backwards, but um, in outside the circles of time, Kenneth Grant points out that um, since the receipt of Al in 1904, when the egg is first mentioned in Crowley's work, and um, that's uh, from 249 in Libra Al, uh, to the Abeldees working in 1911, a period of seven years elapsed. The egg appears again seven years later in 1918 via Amalantra, and again in 1925, another seven years later during one of Frater Rashad's initiations. So you get this uh, reoccurrence of the symbolism of the palm and the egg, and also these sort of weird um, initiations that go with it involving uh different kinds of like praetor human intelligences um and i, I thought i the i read that probably a couple of times and brushed past it but when i started doing all this work about time cycles and the sophist cycle and all this kind of stuff it caught my eye you know and um so you know we in the last journal we heard how this all connected to Philip K. Dick, um, that, that his anamnesis event in 1974 happened on this palm and egg sequence, and that it was somehow, it was also connected to the last iteration of the palm and egg sequence in 1967 by the fact that he received this pink beam while listening to strawberry fields forever by the Beatles. Um, and that, and that was from magical mystery tour, which came out in 1967. And of course had, um, the song, I'm the walrus, which, you know, it's has the Eggman and all that, that kind of stuff. And there's all this gematria that lines up like pink light equals Eggman and all this kind of crazy stuff, you know? So, and then we went back then, uh, you know, I was surfing the web one day and it just so happened that somebody posted in one of these Kenneth Grant Facebook groups, a picture of Ringo Starr standing in front of this like alchemy symbol and behind that on the pasted on the wall is Kenneth and Steffi Grant's Carfax monographs. Uh, and that it just so happens that that was uh, published in 1960. So, you know what I mean? It's like every seven years it's this, this thing is, is real. And it's like, it's like a connective initiatic chain involving these pre-human intelligences and all these like sort of thelemic methods, um, you know, and there's this entire like ultra terrestrial demonology that emerges. Um, you've got Awas, you've got the wizard Amalantra, you've got Abeldees, Lam, Valus, uh, Natan. Uh, 
who is like uh, connected to Pene Prenumbra and, and the, the mysteries of the Horace Mayotte Lodge, uh, Nima and Honda. Yeah, that's uh, from, supposedly uh, the uh, the future of human evolution, right? Uh, oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, and uh, even the Mothman manifests on this cycle. You know, the the uh, the Silver Bridge happened in, in, in at the end of '67. That was the last, I believe, the last uh, Mothman sighting in Point Pleasant. Um, and you know, all the also all the you know, if you read uh, Mothman prophecies by Kill, you know, there's all these other strange um, entities that manifests in 67 and, and come in with messages uh including I, i'm trying to remember the, the name i can't remember maybe it was uh i think the the name was Lia, like or leah maybe even um but yeah the, one of these entities uh just shows up at one of his contacts houses and eats a ton of eggs and leaves you know and so <laughs> and this is in 67 on a palm and egg year so yeah you you know the, the, just all this crazy stuff and so in journal one we um we connected it we we connected it to philip k dick and we kind of called it a day and i left like the list with the years kind of like as a game like if anybody can fill this out go for it i'm really interested to see what people find and um we went back to it. We found a lot of cool stuff um, that connected to the LPA and our, uh, including like the inventor of the spirit box. Uh, he developed his interest in radio generated electronic voice phenomenon after reading a uh, popular electronics article that was published in this year in 1995, which was a palm and egg year. Um, and then in the next palm and egg year 2002 same guy frank sumption develops the prototype for his spirit box radio which he calls frank's box you know and it just goes on and on like this until we get to this year which is 2023 now this is the 18th iteration of this year and this year has been real real wild you know what i mean and um you know at the big very beginning of the year we were greeted with these egg-shaped uh quote-unquote ufos or uaps you know and this whole ensuing panic you know and, and i guess they were you know officially they're chinese uh weather balloons or something like that but I guess they were deemed enough of a threat to be shot down over South Carolina, you know, and, and Montana and Alaska. Some of these places had really weird names like dead horse and stuff like that, you know? And um, yeah, so you were greeted by the egg at the beginning of 2023, a mass panic. And then um, later in the year uh, you have disclosure via um, nap and what's the Corbell, um, of a large hovering UFO over a military base in 29 Palms, California. I think that's also been debunked, but um, I thought it was really strange that they would come out um, with that this year and make a big deal of it this year because it happened, I think, last year. You know, but it's like the symbolism is important. You know, and, and this this is where I get to the point where I'm like, well, I think there are people within the government who are privy to this stuff and are using it you know um i'm not you know i'm not totally sure about that but it seems that way you know <laughs> and uh anyways uh these things can be used to to shore up mass panic and it seems that prayer human intelligences which can maybe manifest through us and, and manipulate us at times 
they they tend to um, they tend to feast on the uh, the energies surrounding these panics. So you know, there's there's good cover for all this stuff. And then um, I mean, what else happened this year? The uh, another fake disclosure, you know, with David Grush. Um, we have. It's terrible war going, you know, continuously raging in the Holy Land. Um, and, you know, a lot, of, a lot of terrible stuff happened this year, but um, also something that was interesting. And I think we'll kind of, we're going to come back to a couple of times throughout the rest of our, uh, our meeting here, Recluse, is um, the dates from the television show Twin Peaks line up perfectly with the days of the year in 2023. Now, something I didn't know until I started really getting into the, into the uh, fan culture of Twin Peaks and, and the, uh, the, uh, the, the like secret history side, you know, the more Mark Frost side of, of things is that the dates in these shows were very important to the creators and they were meticulously tracked, you know, um, that you will find some bumps in the road here and there where they maybe got some things, some things confused with continuity, um, that may be able to, you know, they might be able to explain that away with the fact that, you know, maybe something happened in one dimension at one time or something like that. But, uh, regardless, this is a very meticulously tracked thing, the dates from Twin Peaks. And so the dates from the original 1989 year of Twin Peaks line up perfectly this year. So if it's Monday here, it's Monday there. Do you know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I see what you're saying. It's like the same days this year. That's yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah. No, I was um, yeah. I was just doing an interview with Robert Sullivan um yesterday, and we were talking about Friday the thirteenth. Of course, we had a Friday the thirteenth in uh, October this year, leading up to Halloween. Oh yeah, in and of itself, I thought was kind of interesting, but I had totally forgotten that supposedly um, what's his name, Jacques de Molay, was burned at the stake on October thirteenth. 1306. Oh no, he wasn't burned. He wasn't burned at the stake on October 13th. He was uh the the uh the arrest warrant basically okay. was was written. Yeah, they that uh on okay, October you're the right, third, Friday, October. Yeah, yeah, and that's another that's a thing I didn't even get in the journal because yeah, I didn't realize it. But yeah, that's that seems also extremely important, you know. Uh here no, so, in this, so also then the Twin Peaks year would have had the uh the October Friday the thirteenth in it as well. So yes, 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 absolutely. That's crazy, is it not? Crazy, yeah, crazy man. Well, um, I'm on the egg and uh, uh, ceremony here for a second in the palm. I'm just curious, do you guys equate that a bit with um, the Serpent Mound in Ohio? Uh, I know J.J. Vance has the is of the opinion that it's not actually a serpent. It's a sperm and an egg uh, representing fertility rights. Right. Uh, well, I mean, symbolically, that, that makes sense. Absolutely. Um, palm the egg. I mean, you, you can look at it. Grant looks at it in all kinds of different surrealistic and and uh, sex sex magical ways and all this kind of stuff. I mean, yeah, uh, the transmission of DNA uh, definitely makes sense, um, and this sort of uh, uh, a kind of the idea of um, using it like the opening of the mouth. Um, if you think about it symbolically. Uh, yeah, all, all that kind of stuff makes sense uh, in a in a sex sexo magical way, I would say. Um, but also the palm the egg might um, 
refer to uh, maybe what we'll just call Zoskia cultists to keep it classy here and um, some other classic uh, chaos magics type of rites uh, that actually involve um, coitus with the others. Yeah, I, I can see that. And I think that that's kind of what was being done uh, at, at the Serpent Mound. You know, that's interesting. I was interested because um, I know um, I actually inadvertently ended up at uh, the Serpent Mound for the Solstice this year, I guess, with some of your cohorts there. Um, I was just curious if you guys used it specifically in your system in that regard. We're uh, we have there's a lot of work with the Serpent Mound um, astral travel and actual uh, being there, being around it. Um, and I know Groucho, he agent for. 444 he went up there and he yeah he found this place really close it's called like um it's it's like palm street or something like that it's like right next to it you know and um he did all this all this work and all this intel and you know it's like um we think that maybe you know that's a there's a there's a portal there you know from it's it's in the middle of an astral gleam you know and so everything surrounding it if that's if it's enchanted then also everything surrounding it's enchanted so yeah he thought it was funny that yeah there's a ginormous egg and then uh a couple of streets down there's this like de la palma street or whatever you know uh pretty funny yeah, I'm kind of trying to remember where that's at. No, I know one time when I was driving back uh, from the server mound with a group of friends, we uh, we saw this huge fairy mound or um, fairy circle, you know, with the mushrooms. It was like I oh, yeah. the largest one I've ever yeah. seen, uh, maybe yeah. a mile or something outside Serpent Mound. So, yeah, I've, I usually yeah. have some yeah. kind of weird thing happen when I go there. <laughs> Did you have, did you say, was it you? I don't know a bunch of people went up there recently, but was it you that said that you had like, you stayed in a cabin and you had like a tree fall on your cabin or something? Well, I, yeah, I did have a tree fall in my cabin. That wasn't when I was up at Serpent Mountain. When I went up yes. to Serpent Mountain, I think the last time, um, I mean, a couple of my mates took some mushrooms while we were up there and yeah. didn't necessarily have anything weird at Serpent Mountain, but then we got lost going um home or trying to get to actually an Amish bakery I think and we <laughs> ended up in this just town in the middle of like nowhere they had this old school gas station that looked like the one out of the first Friday the 13th movie so I wanted to stop and take pictures and then we had noted that there was like this ancient Knights of Pythia um lodge in this place i mean this town had basically nothing in it <laughs> this gas station this night wow. yeah and yeah we end up going mm. out to the knights of pythia lodge to get pictures and it's like almost the whole town came out and started staring at us like we're retreating back to the gas station and this huge this thing <laughs> like this farm vehicle with these huge wheels like comes out of nowhere and almost is like following us back to the gas station and then when we get back into my car this car it was like an impala or something with tinted windows pulls up parks right beside of us and it's just sitting there with the engine running for like five minutes i mean it was, 
It sounds like he's yeah. It sounds like you were having a uh, yeah an encounter with the woodsman, my friend. Yeah, I mean, I was just like, what the fuck is yeah. this? Like, I mean, I think everybody who was with me would agree it was just one of the weirdest. Even because yes. we were with um, Ed Berger, who didn't even take the mushrooms, and Ed was like, "This is so weird, man." Like, I mean, it was just nuts. yeah. Wow, yeah, you slipped into uh that's kind of yeah, in, in the upcoming journal, uh journal three, that was kind of what um agent four 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 and eight eight eight, that was kind of their their experience too, is they kind of, you know, they went to Serpent Mound, uh, no big deal, but then they left Serpent Mound and were just kind of wandering and trying to find some, you know, just just kind of wandering and ended up in some real weird enchanted situation where like there was like a, a diner with a weird checkerboard pattern and like a talking skeleton and all this, you know what I mean? Just all this crazy, you know, all the symbolism of masonry in your face. Yeah. Just very, very strange. You know, it's like you go there and it enchants you it, it, like the energy and then you slip off into kind of like a, a, a world within the world, you know, a place where the veil is, yeah is is a little thin and maybe the woodsman or the you know whoever can come through the at the gas station you know woodsman haunt gas stations and mm -hmm. and uh convenience stores and whatnot so yeah it sounds like you had a sounds like you had a haunt by the woodsman you know and uh in in journal two uh i do this thing called the evocation of eileen and uh that sounds real weird but it's uh basically you're um you're calling up the woodsman and you're you're taking charge o over them. You're giving them uh, uh, over time. You, uh, you learn to, uh, to control woodsmen. Yeah. So I, yeah, I think that's, that's really interesting. That's crazy. And you know, you so, were right. Now that I think about it, it was, yeah, the tree fell on my cabin. Uh, the, yeah, the day, or it was like the night right before I was about to leave. And then I think the following day would have been the solstice because i was at jj's place that's where i stopped for the night so yeah i think that is correct actually. yeah um, yeah wow <laughs> that's yeah that was you told me that and i was like uh oh that's yeah we've got a woodsman uh a woodsman infestation it sounds like um but yeah that's a that's a great uh yeah not, you know if you want to talk about saint stephen and all that stuff you know. yeah you want to get into saint stephen i was delighted you uh, brought him up he's uh, definitely one of the more fascinating saints so how does his mystery bones and what have you relate to all this yeah so this goes back to my original um initiation from the twin peaks realm um which involved just very subtle messaging through like newspapers and uh cut-ups and stuff like that and uh you know, originally I had this experience where I uh, was watching Firewalk with me and we were at the uh, autopsy scene of Teresa Banks and I was had a lot of I was doing a cut up. I always do art and I rarely really give my attention to, to films. And um, so I was doing cut ups and I, I looked down at my piece, my big pile of cut up paper. And I kind of in the in that moment got the metaphor between like this, all these cut up dead bits of information and, you know, the, uh, the, the tradition of the exquisite corpse and all that. And this, this exquisite corpse sitting in front of me and they pull, uh, a letter out of Teresa's fingernail. And when they did that, I pulled a line from the cutups and it said, see myself. And I was like, you know, holy shit, that's weird. But then I went and checked it by the cipher and see myself equal Teresa Banks. 
And then a couple of, and then for like a good 10 days, that was January 1st, 2020. And then for like a good 10 or 11 days, I was just haunted by Lynchian symbolisms and all this kind of stuff. And um, it ended at, with this uh, newspaper that, that came to me at work that was like, it had this line on it that said, uh, the ear apparent. It was, and I can't remember what the article was about exactly, but it was, a, oh, it was about a dog that had been lost for like it was one of these stories where a dog had been lost for like a decade or like some crazy amount of time and then the family found it uh with some other family based on the defect in its ear or whatever but i thought that was interesting because i had just watched blue velvet the night before and it was like i'd found my ear you know my weird gateway into this other world of, of uh you know uh investigation esoteric investigation uh accompanied by this strange cipher you know um used for interpretation and so anyways we we did uh our show last year i think you put it out on saint stephen's day or something pretty close and uh the anyways it was the interview was it was me and you and also uh agent 222 from listening post alpha who couldn't be here with us today sadly but he his name is Stephen. So I'm in a in the middle of a Stephen sandwich. You bring up Saint Stephen's Day and the Feast of Fools, and I had never even really considered Saint Stephen or the saints at all and their connection to the to these you know pagan uh, holidays and all this kind of stuff. And um, so that that was really inspiring to me. And and uh, so I kind of I kind of looked to your show as, as sort of an, an initiation tool during the month of Capricorn because you're dealing with these devilish energies and all this kind of stuff. So I thought this would be a good time, you know, to kind of go into like the paracriminal aspects, especially considering the fact that this irreparent see myself thing happened during Capricorn of 2020. Well, why not, you know, go back into this paracriminal side of Twin Peaks, you know, and, and of my own, uh, um, my own experience and so it started barking at me so i listened and i went back to the actual that newspaper and so the newspaper had three headlines one was the ear apparent the other one was uh looking or it was like something about the meals on wheels and of course in twin peaks that's a big clue is that is uh this look into the meals on wheels thing laura palmer what she was doing with meals on wheels some of the experiences she had with the meals on wheels some of the people she was dealing with through the meals on wheels right and so all that made sense but there was another the main headline i did i never tried to make any sense out of it because it seemed too dark uh, at the time and it was about these bones that had been found on fulton avenue in kingsport tennessee where i live um, and I, I, so I looked in, I looked in and saw if I could find like an update on that. You know, they had found these bones, basically these air conditioning guys were, um, doing, doing the remodel, the air conditioning remodel on this old house on Fulton Avenue. And they found some bones, uh, when they started to dig and, um, uh, it turns out that, that house belonged to another Stephen, Stephen, uh, Stephen Williams. Now, Stephen Williams was a guy who had committed murder in 1981. Um, 
in Kingsport. And this was a brutal, brutal murder. So I thought, well, that's that's really interesting, you know, um, that there's these these bones underneath this guy's house and uh, creepy. And, is, uh, William, right? Huh? You know, my, my middle name's William, right? No way. <laughs> that's crazy. All right. So anyway, yeah. So Stephen Leon Williams, I'm like, man, well, that's crazy. You know, he killed somebody brutally. He, these, there's these mystery bones underneath his house. This sounds kind of like a killer Bob story or something, you know, uh, really weird, you know, but uh, thank God he's, he, you know, he, he's still in prison, right? Well, no, he's not in prison. He got out on a technicality. Um, yeah. So <laughs> He's been back to prison once, and um, it was over some sort of drug charges or something like that. You know, nothing, nothing brutal. Um, but so on January first, which was the Feast of Fools, uh, in some places, um, some timelines, um, I performed a transmission with Teresa Banks. Like I, I tried to call up Teresa Banks again. Um, to commemorate the See Myself event. And I asked, can you tell me anything about the bones found on Fulton Avenue on January 9th, 2020? It said, surprise party, contaminated drinking water, illness. And then it was like, you know, you could eat. And, and it goes on and it's just like, hey, we we can help you with other things. Uh, this is not really that important. So I, I was like, all right, well, it's dark. It's weird. Uh, I'll table it. I'm not going to look at it anymore. Drop the whole thing. But then exactly three days after the working, guess who's in the news again? None other than St. Stephen Leon Williams. Um, he is involved. He was a person of interest in a shooting that had happened in downtown Kingsport. The shooting had happened on January the 3rd. Or, yeah. Well, I guess January the 2nd is when the shooting happened. So January 1st, I did the work with Teresa Banks. January 2nd, Stephen Leon Williams was in police custody in connection with another murder. The reports began circulating on January 3rd. And as I began breaking down the mystical toponymy, that's a that's a that's a really important term for listening to post alpha. Um, a wild storm started brewing. Uh, uh, later as I was driving to work. Um, the whole west side of Kingsport was dark where, where he lived and where the mystery bones were, were darkened. And I was waved out of the parking lot at work as all the power is out in the area due to down trees, damaged power lines. I had, uh, I had like stoplights and shit, like flying around my head. Like it was dangerous. It was a bad storm. Um, yeah. And so, you know, of course, ultra terrestrial entities of twin peaks like killer bob and the arm and all these guys they move through electricity um you know and, uh, flickering power lines and power outages and fires kind of manifest when they show up uh, i think in even in the the scene with Teresa banks's corpse there's uh, or actually i think in just about every scene where there's a corpse there's a electronic flickering and strobing going on with the lights and stuff like that um of course, by the cipher, electricity equals let him enter and power outage equals beware of Bob. And so all this kind of stuff was uh, kind of weighed on my research. And I, I, I kind of, you know, uh, it was really mind blowing, you know, um, 
that's that Stephen Leon Williams came back to haunt right at that moment when I decided to look at all this stuff again, you know? Um, and I'm, I'm glad that I documented it, you know what I mean? So people know that I'm not just like making this up like retroactively or whatever, but, um, you know, then you get into the, like all this other kind of weird stuff, like with the dates and, and the, the, uh, the things that ha that he's done to his victims compared to, um, other things that happened during the same time to other victims of murder, like most notably the black Dahlia. Um, there's just all this wild, uh, conglomeration of, um, of we'll call it coincidence wandering not lost we walk through our flowers me and my brother listening for hours to songs of rain showers So 
All right. Um, let's get into Audrey Hale here for a moment. This is a subject you and I have discussed privately before. And incidentally, Hale was just in the news again due to the continual refusal of Tennessee authorities to release uh, their manifesto. Supposedly, authorities are afraid it will trigger a rash of suicides if it's uh, given to the public. Can you take us through the bizarre twilight language of the uh, shooting incidents and your thoughts on why the manifesto is still being suppressed? Uh, can you give the kids to like a quick rundown of uh, the whole Audrey Hale saga too, just in case uh, anybody's been living under a rock and doesn't know? Oh yeah, Audrey Hale. Um, I mean, there's we don't know much, you know. Um, we we don't even publicly have record of her birthday. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's blacked out, uh, redacted in the, the, uh, autopsy records, which are public. And, uh, those autopsy records don't, don't help, uh, clearing up any mysteries as a matter of fact. Um, what we basically know is that, uh, Audrey Hale had, go had gone to a school, a covenant school in Nashville, Green Hills, Nashville, uh, around 10 a.m. on March 27th and started uh, murdering people with a, I think it was an AR-15. I think she might have had another gun and she had a knife that she did not use. Um, she was shot dead by two police officers. And um, she was also uh, apparently transitioning to male um and she had decided that her name would be aiden so uh and i'm not i'm not meaning any disrespect by calling her she or he that's just she's listed as female um and, and the thing about her transsexuality um we're not we're not totally sure what the deal was there we're not totally sure um like with everything i mean i don't want to sound too paranoid but you look at the uh, the video and the pictures of uh, who is Aiden Hale that day. And um, it doesn't look anything like Audrey Hale, you know, um, in any way from, from what I can tell. So it's a lot of mysteries, a lot of strange shit around it and a lot of repression of information. Um, and then a big, uh, you know, of course, political show in downtown Nashville at the state house. Um, but uh, yeah, I, the thing that really that hit me about this one now, I, you know, I've always I've been a synchromistic for for, uh, you know, going on over a decade now. And I kind of always look at at any of these these uh, these events, you know, these mass shooting events and stuff. Uh, I kind of try to see what their relevance is in that uh by that perspective and a lot of times I don't really see much you know or, or what I do see I'm kind of like huh and I move on but this really bothered me and it, the main reason it bothered me is because it seemed to have all these Twin Peaks sinks um, and this was a person with my last name and on top of that, I was scheduled to be in Nashville only a couple of days before that, but I had to kind of back out. Um, and the details of that, I would like to, to hold close until I find out more until, you know, until we can find out how, 
what what's resolved here but in a way i felt uh seen by the universe in a really terrible way you know like uh this is definitely the abyss staring back um you know this person goes in with a name that is uh tied to the twin peaks series and bearing also my last name so here we go with uh you know uh, just like the Stephen leon williams guy who shares two of your names now we've got someone who's sharing my name too which this I, you know i don't want to make of any of this you know <laughs> but you know um so audrey hale by the cipher equals 108 which equals covenant covenant was the name of the school where the murder happened and now if you think about the word covenant um, you know, a lot of things might come to mind, but, uh, if you, if you look at biblical covenants, uh, you know, starting with Cain and Abel, uh, murder and ritual sacrifice is usually involved, uh, including murder of children. So this is, I thought, well, very dark, but yeah, Audrey Hale equals covenant by the cipher covenant school equals, uh, the murder uh, and the school shooting sacrifice and we'll go back to that that number 133 in a second school shooting equals sacrifice which yeah that that makes sense this if uh whether this is um there's some sort of uh occult group operating through these people you know maybe um uh turning these people kind of into like zombies you know or uh, uh mancurian candidates uh to put it lightly um then you know that that would make sense as well um this, this the school shootings would be some sort of sacrifice to whatever you know um twisted cause that they're trying to serve now um something that was really strange also about this is that uh, she had all these or uh, uh aiden had all these um all this stuff written all over her clothes. She had all these diaries, supposedly a lot of diaries, a lot of writing. And we don't know what any of this stuff said, right? And there's a big legal battle going on right now. I think four days ago, they heard, uh, they just heard arguments um, to release the her uh, quote unquote manifesto. And um, I mean, I guess there, there are, I mean, you know, there are rational reasons to repress that information, but I think you said something about, you know, that the, the idea that people might commit suicide. Well, well why would that be? You know, um, it, it, it seems to me that she was in some way, she was in some way connected to these people in power in that area. You know, um, one of the people she killed named Cynthia peak peak, um, was best friends with Bill Lee, our governor's wife. Um, and they say, well, she just went in there and chaotically was shooting, you know, and, and was just killing anybody that she could. Well, we don't know that. We don't know that. Um, so who would commit suicide? Who would be, you know, what kind of things are in those diaries that, that may uh, expose these power elites that, that, are in that community and, and are maybe, um, you know, connected to that school. Um, now, one of the weird, weirder things about the autopsy that's mentioned, a strange detail is it says uh, she's wearing an orange ankle bracelet that says 508407. 
And I've, you know, you look that up, there's really, you don't really find anything other than that that's the hex number for green. Uh, that's the, like if you're doing uh, digital art, uh, which she was a digital artist, um, that is the, no, the hex number for green. By the cipher, uh, green equals broken and green equals mirror and green equals the fool. Um, and of course, all that kind of ties back into Twin Peaks. Um, Audrey in Twin Peaks kind of comes out of her out of her coma, maybe or whatever it is in season three, in uh, in a flash in front of a mirror. You know, she sees herself. Um, so I thought that's interesting. And you know, the broken mirror is is very much a part of um, the interaction between Killer Bob and Cooper as well this uh, idea of the dark side taking over the light side of uh, evil um, taking over innocence, you know, um, the number 508407. Uh, also, if you add it up, if you like add up all the numbers, it equals 24, 24 equals T, which was like the actual um, letter that they pull from Teresa Banks's nail during her autopsy. So there's a connect, a magical link between those two autopsies uh, through the, through the numerology. Now you break it down even farther, uh, two plus four is six. So you've got the hex number for green. This happened on green Hills in Nashville. And then you have this reduction to six. There were six victims. Um, also, her knife, uh, she had written Aiden on it. Now, Aiden equals 69 by the cipher, and Aiden can be flipped around uh, to Diane, um, also a uh, who also manifests as a uh, nefarious doppelganger in season three. Uh, that number also equals danger, and uh, as above, so below. Also, uh, I think that number equals Athena, the goddess of war, who was... Um, well, I was going to uh, say Diana was actually uh, the goddess of the hunt, too. Yes, and the goddess of the hunt, absolutely. And uh, Athena and Diana, I think, were cognate, maybe. Artemis um, But Athena... Yeah, okay. And, uh, yeah, Athena was a war goddess, and she was, I think... Uh, her celebration was sometime around uh, the equinox in March. Um, so right around that time of March 27th. Um, also, Aiden Hale equals the child. Um, we'll get back to that in a second, because I kind of think that, that maybe she in some way is a, is a uh, magical child. Um, well, Athena by the also- cipher- uh, not to keep interrupting you, but Athena's no, I, you're fine. mistaken. There's also that in Nashville that, um, oh gosh, isn't there that like kind of Greek pantheon thing there, if I'm not mistaken, where Athena absolutely they're probably represented yeah. in it. Yes, yeah, yeah, I forgot to mention that. Yes, um, and then yeah, so all this kind of stuff as a uh, sacrificial rite, um, carried out by some sort of uh. Uh, man curing candidate uh it, it kind of checks out by this way of looking at things you know um so also by the cipher nashville equals 86 which equals quran's on and um 86 uh let's see march 27th was the 86th day of the year so this happened on the 86th day of the year 
in Nashville, which equals 86 by the cipher. 86 is also slang for kill it. Like, um, it's more of like a service industry, like food thing, but uh, 86 is slang for kill it. March 27th by the cipher equals fire. That's the destructive element in the Twin Peaks mythos. It's also an important date in the show. Uh, I didn't know that until this morning, actually, because I got kind of hung up on this this morning. I was like, there's got, there's something else. I don't know what it is, but there's something else. So I went back to the dates and the chronologies and stuff in the show. And um, so there's this thing about the, the, the diaries, right? The diaries are being repressed and um, the, in Laura Palmer's secret diary, the, the, the actual book um, written by David Lynch's daughter, um, she writes, about her visits to Harold Smith, uh, who she meets through Mills on Wheels. He's a hermit. He's obsessed with her. He's obsessed with uh, more than anything with her diaries. She has her diary, which she keeps at home. Then she has a secret diary, which she keeps with Harold Smith. And he kind of kills himself uh, in the in Twin Peaks season two, uh, I think, on account of losing those diaries. Um, and so there's a, a, a also a, a suicide connected to the disclosure of contents of a secret diary, right? Uh, tied in with this date, March 27th, where this person murdered six children. Um, also in the secret history of Twin Peaks, which is uh, written by Mark Frost, and I cannot recommend enough. If you are into Twin Peaks, uh, you don't have the full picture if you haven't gotten into the to the written mythos of Mark Frost. Um, but on March 27th, Audrey, now remember this the murderer's name, this, the mass shooter here is named Audrey. Audrey Horn ties herself to the bank vault on this day, and then there's a, an accompanying explosion, which it looks like, you know, maybe she committed an act of terror, but actually what had happened is some old, uh, some old, kooks were up to up to no good inside the vault um audrey lives though in 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 twin peaks um cooper and annie are also located in glastonbury grove so in the show the uh the whole um entrance into the the red room in the black lodge uh with windham earl annie and cooper that all happens on march 26th so 27th is the day that they all are come out of the black lodge and the day that um, mr c emerges in his cooper suit right uh, or, or killer bob you know uh, takes possession of, of cooper's body in in uh, twin peaks and the twin peaks realm um and so on march 27th it's said that annie wakes up at the same time every year and just says i'm fine i'm fine and then she she never says anything else. Um, so I mean, you know, this this is madness, you know. And I, and I've I've barely gotten through, you know, uh, half of what I've got here about this situation. Um, yeah, and, and also, you know, there's this constellation of the names from Twin Peaks, of course. And so the same morning, uh, lo and behold, what happens is Madonna announces a concert in Nashville in support of trans rights the same morning with a drag queen named Bob. So here again, you have this, uh, you have this, the name of Bob coming up, uh, like killer Bob or Bobby or whatever, uh, my name also. And, uh, 
yeah, so the, the quote here is also the so-called laws to protect our children are unfounded and empathetic. Now, this was uh, when all, we they had passed all these kind of uh, these like anti-drag show laws and all this kind of stuff in Tennessee, um, which were, you know, uh, say what you want about them. But, you know, it's it's Tennessee. It's it was not surprising, but, um, you know, also equally not surprising that you would have somebody come through and protest it. You know, um, these things are, you know, this this is how the dialectic works. Um, but the synchronicity is what drives you crazy, you know. So um, you have. Uh, this quote from Madonna, I guess, or Madonna's publicist uh, says, also these so-called laws to protect our children are unfounded and pathetic. Anyone with half a brain knows not to fuck with a drag queen. Bob and I will show you from the stage in Nashville where we will celebrate the beauty that is the queer community. She added, referencing Bob the drag queen who will be supporting the singer on her upcoming tour. Um, and again, I want to, uh, I just want to say that I'm not saying that like this was, uh, some ritual done by Madonna and Bob the drag queen. I'm saying that, um, I, you know, people always, they're real hung up on this idea of, of magic as, as an act of will. Um, the more you get into magic and actual practice, you'll know that you don't really have much control over this kind of stuff. And these entities, if they want to manifest in, in a certain way um, and through a certain person, um, unless you are really done the work to protect yourself, they will do, they will, they will take control of entire situations of entire uh, constellations of, of, of events, you know, they're always a couple of steps ahead of us, you know? Um, so that's, that's my, that's my uh, view on this whole, this, this whole thing. Um, and so, you know, that there's a hidden hand. Um, sometimes it's, uh, it is actually like ritualistic Satanists, but then other times it's really just um, entities working through people who have not done the proper uh, banishing work or who, or, you know, wouldn't even know. Kind of like, um, uh, like Burroughs, like concept of unconscious agents, if you will. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, one time I was writing about that idea and right in the middle of it, I had this guy just start, I, like as soon as I hit the the period button on this statement about, Ultra terrestrials don't really need spirit boxes. They can just manifest through people. I got the weirdest slew of messages from this rando on the internet, you know, about all this stuff that I had been researching, you know, to the point where I was like, is this, did this guy hack my computer or is this guy just, you know what I mean? Is this a, is this a, a person who's possessed, you know? Um, I mean, I have stuff like was that. It like somebody who was like spamming your email with like all of the uh, stuff on different subjects you were working on. No, it was like it was stuff that I was writing about, but I wasn't really posting on. And it was like it was like answers to questions that I'd had like that day, you know. And, and it was coming in a really funny way, like uh, in, a, in a hilarious way, actually, because we had uh, me and Leah had been looking at this webpage uh, called like Bots of New York. And it'll have like these hilarious like composite sketches of uh, of people through like AI, I suppose, um, with little quotes, you know, like composite New Yorkers. And this one that day was called Little Sherlock Homie. 
And uh, the the guy that I dealt with that day will just say that, that I got little Sherlock homied that day. It was <laughs> it was it was really really strange. I, maybe I should you know I should really publish that you know. But, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I've been little Sherlock homied. I've been Killer Bob. I've been Coopered. You know, I, I've I've been all these things. It's uh, enough to know that like yeah, there there is a uh, hidden world of very powerful entities that um, can just hop right on. You know, you don't necessarily have to do evocation. Um, evocation helps more with focusing energies and bringing in the things that you want. You know, um, so that's that's why. Uh, you know, you, you're going to do some exorcism with an effective evocation. Um, and, the, you know, back to these weird sinks um, with these broken mirrors and whatnot. And, and Madonna, you know, and, and Bob the Drag Queen, we had, you know, Madonna by the cipher equals 64. And lo and behold, Madonna is 64 years old. You know, this stuff just keeps going. And um, that morning we had another famous uh, synchromistic, uh, a master of the game, Chris Knowles post put a post up that morning and his it was uh a side by side with uh madonna a cover for madonna from spin magazine and uh the uh, you know she's got her face up against the mirror and then the uh cooper and killer bob right next to each other and i think he he uh can't remember what the contents exactly were of that post, but it's just like, man, that is just too much. You know, it's just too much. And that's why, that's why I brought it up to you because I was just like, man, this is like, there's so much crazy stuff. And then, you know, with the, with the connections with, uh, with the Twin Peaks history and, and Audrey, and then the, and then you compound that with the fact that everything that happens that year in 1989 happens this year on the same day. It's like, there's definitely this crazy, time loop sort of uh aspect to it you know that that is just it's just too much you know it's just it's just way too much well a couple of things i mean a it seems like there's been some very peculiar stuff going on in nashville for a while because it was was it christmas 2021 uh, yeah yeah in downtown nashville as well which um i mean that was another just very bizarre incident that knocked yes. out a lot of the telecommunications in the surrounding area for like what a whole day or something mm -hmm. yeah it was and that one was a big one for me too i don't have any of that information in front of me but that was on my mind earlier recluse and um yeah and and that's uh yeah i i had uh yeah, I, I looked into that one too, and there were a lot of weird hits by the cipher with that one. And also, yeah, that that was another mysterious person who seemed to be very isolated and had some some messages that he wanted to convey that also I don't think got got conveyed. But uh, yeah, it was a Christmas Day bombing down there. Yeah, there's been a lot of a lot of weird. Yeah, Nashville is. Yeah, Nashville's a weird place, and and there's a there's a lot of lore. I was going back and looking through the secret history today, uh, secret history of Twin Peaks, and Nashville, Nashville, Nashville was just like popping out at me. So <laughs> there's a lot like in the older stuff, there, like the stuff about like the um, uh, the Northwest Passage and all that kind of stuff. There's um, yeah, there's a lot of talk about Nashville, things happening in Nashville that I need to track down. Another thing, too, about Audrey Hill, uh, I believe we had talked about this back in the spring, but uh, did uh, did they have, like, the Ellis symbol or something like that on one of their uh, their weapons? 
Oh, yeah. See, I thought that. Yeah, yeah, I I looked at that originally at her gun and I thought, which I got like banned from Facebook for even asking about it in, in my my own private group. <laughs> I had posted it in, a, uh, in, a, in my ALW Cypher group and asked if anyone knew what that sign was, that symbol was on the gun. Originally, I had thought that it was a linking, the linking sigil, because it, and it looked a whole hell of a lot like it. You know, um, the linking sigil is like a, a, a DKMU thing, I think, a chaos magic. Uh, thing that links things together. I mean, that's what it does. And um, yeah, it's with the spider, that kind of deity, Ellis, who's also sometimes uh, personified as the Red Queen from um, mm-hmm. Alice in Wonderland. Another head, oh, okay. head too. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, but I, yeah, I dropped that aspect because it it definitely wasn't that simple. It was some sort of brand. Um, but I didn't look any in, into it anymore. Um, but I f- yeah, there's there's a side of this where this person just uh, may have been uh, totally demented and just throwing things out there without really know you know just these are things I like. Um, if you look at the graphic art by this person, it's uh, extremely like innocent looking. It's like it's like um, somebody that's just not at their the you know they it's just too sweet like almost childish you know like um and it's all about like friends and you know there's nothing there that indicates you know what i'm saying that there's any kind of uh anything going on with this person so that's why i look and and but then the fact that there's all this writing and all this uh all these numbers that were on her body like on on the uh, on their clothes um that indicates to me that the the uh, irrational in her was uh, probably trying to say something, you know, that there, there, there was a, since it already says so much about the incident that, you know, her, her message, I'd say probably the diaries that we're talking about are probably not as important as the things that were actually written on her clothes. But I could be wrong about that because, like I said, the gun was covered in just these weird like brands and like I think like a puffy like cotton candy rainbow, you know, just demented shit. So <laughs> it's really hard to tell, you know. But uh, yeah, I don't, I don't see any reason to repress this information, and I, I would like to know what, what was going on with her obsession with numbers and uh, certain words. Well, let's uh, let's go full on Twin Peaks here as we get into the home stretch. So another Twin Peaks actor has uh, recently departed us. That would be the great Piper Laurie, who passed on October 14th, 2023. Uh, for those of you unaware, she played Catherine Martell in the first two seasons. I always thought uh, Catherine was one of the more underrated characters in the show. Fittingly, I was uh, en route to Somerset, Kentucky on the day of her death. I naturally found myself in the midst of a hellacious storm and got into a minor car accident on the highway. So it goes. Do you have any uh, memorable experiences related to her death, Bobby? I don't, but like just a couple of days before she passed, uh, Leah and I watched the Dario Argento film Trauma for the first time. Um, which stars Piper Laurie as a serial killing spirit medium. Um, and she oh, records God. her. 
It's also got yeah. Argento in it too, if I remember correctly. That was actually yeah, my yeah. Dario Argento. It's a Dario Argento movie for those of you unfamiliar. Um, it was I think it was one of the only ones he filmed in English as well. But uh, I was a bit of a fan of that one uh, back when I was in high school. Yeah, I hadn't seen it. This was the first time I'd seen it, and uh, yeah, it's like she goes crazy after her newborn baby is decapitated in a freak accident involving a power outage due to a storm. Uh, so these, this, this headlessness, power outages, storms, all these things are, you know, uh, coming back again here with this Piper Laurie thing. Um, yeah. Uh, also by the cipher, October 14 equals headlessness. I thought that was interesting. Uh, there's, isn't there a scene where there's like a guy, they think it's, you're led to think that it's this one guy, uh, one character in the story who's kind of like a, a, a weird occult Nick psychotherapist, maybe. Um, he shows up at one point, he wrecks his car right in the rain, and they find a ton of heads stashed in his trunk or something like that. Really? No, I haven't. It's been years since I've seen yeah, it. Yeah, I, I, I swear. Think... I need to go back and watch it. But yeah, I, I'm pretty sure like he wrecked, he crashes into something and then they find all these heads in his in his, the trunk of his car. But then you find out, you know, it's right before the big reveal that, you know, that it's, sounds uh, about it's right. <laughs> so, yeah, just all this. Yeah, really, really interesting stuff, especially. I mean, you know, I'm not saying that you would have a like as a metaphor, it kind of works as like. You know, maybe your show like blows minds, you know, so you've got like in your great vehicle, you have all these like these like heads. <laughs> these like, you know, it's like these you think with these I think with these metaphors and stuff, you know, man. So it's like uh, they, they don't really. Uh, you know, the, that's that's really interesting really interesting well, the main um, thing i got in my phone right yeah, now that... is a, a full-size spare tire given uh, the amount of issues i've had with the tire. <laughs> um, okay we believe you we believe you but yeah no it's it's interesting too because i was just talking to jay uh, in the last one peaks episode i did actually about the likely influence that argento had on david lynch that's uh, something i've kind of pondered for a while myself but uh, some of those Italian Gelano film or Gileo, I think. Uh, oh, yeah. Definitely can see, I think, how that's uh, probably had an underappreciated influence on a lot of American underground cinema, but especially Lynch. Yeah, absolutely. I think so. I think so. Well, anyway, I just rewatched season three of Twin Peaks recently, so it's definitely been on my mind. And I was particularly struck by how central alternative dimensions and time travel were to the show in the final season, though it was obviously already hinted at uh, in Fire Walk with me, possibly even sooner. But the end of season three is especially striking in that regard. And I'm talking about the whole Richard and Linda bit. So Cooper enters into an alternative dimension with Diana, where they become Richard and Linda. Diana soon departs, but Cooper's able to locate a woman who appears to be Laura Palmer, only she's not Laura Palmer. Cooper's undeterred. He drives her out to Twin Peaks from, I think it was Nevada, hoping that she'll recall her life as Laura. While driving through uh, the town that's supposedly Twin Peaks, we see the double R. But it's not the double R of Twin Peaks. It's presented as it appears in real life. 
And this led to speculation that Cooper um, had effectively crossed over into our reality, I believe, on Reddit or something like that. Increasingly, I pondered if this was a kind of hyperstitional working on the part of Lynch and Frost. It's especially interesting to me on a personal note, as I and many people I've discussed the matter with C-2017 as a kind of crossing of the Rubicon for high weirdness. Things have really gotten weird since then, and of course, the... Uh, the full-blown Twin Peaks revival started in 2017. So do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think we've we've really made a case here today um, that there is some, some sort of really, really bizarre type of leakage uh, going on, you know, and, um, you know, I, I keep I keep going back to this uh, this time um, between September and October, you know, it seems like really... Uh, right around the the equinox you know once the equinox hits like it, it's really then there's it's a lot of high strangeness starts to really flare up you know and a lot of bad stuff too uh so you know i don't i it's it's almost as if um the, the denizens of the black lodge have, have uh have definitely taken a strong foothold in our reality and are uh, operating, you know, at a from a very powerful center, you know, and um, I don't know what that is. It could be Twin Peaks, you know. It could be um, people's obsession with bringing it back, you know. This idea, this thing with bringing Laura Palmer back, you know, after twenty five years, after she's already served her purpose, um, pretty much would commit us all to the to the uh the cause of the black lodge <laughs> uh in a way you know um i mean that's that's pretty much what happens is uh cooper is uh he's he tries to bring her back and in doing that he take he draws her down from the white lodge and communion with her holy guardian angel we see uh that she she has no angel she's lost her angel which is uh what happens in the abyss she makes that statement in firewalk with me about um you know, there are no angels, you know, whatever. And that then she's joined by her angel in death. And, um, you know, that's, uh, that's another metaphor, you know, in, in the speak of moving from black lodge, black lodge to white lodge is, um, you know, leaving this earth and going, uh, joining the heavens. And, um, you know, throughout the show, there's, uh, it's shown again and again that Laura Palmer dies for a reason. Laura Palmer dies for a balance. You know, um, Laura Palmer is a sacrifice of peace with these Garmon Bosia eating, uh, draining beings who constantly create terrible events in order to feed. Um, and so I think, at least that's what Lynch was trying to say: is like, look, you, you you're all acting like people in the black lodge. What, what would happen? You know what I mean? What, what would her life have been like? What, like, why would it have been so good to have Laura Palmer around all these 25 years, you know? Um, and so, yeah, there's, there's that whole thing, you know? And um, so there may be some sort of uh, mass hyperstitional uh, reaction at play you know, and th that really flares up uh, from September of October when this show was filmed and when, um, or when the show was uh, uh, set, this show is set from September to October, 2016. 
Um, you know, and uh, I'm still really not sure what's what's at play with this. You know, maybe we're all just looking too deeply into it. And, you know, uh, if we stop looking, it'll all go away, you know, kind of like the observer thing or it'll become something else, you know. Um, but yeah, I think we've laid out a clear case here for a hyperstitional leakage coming from the Twin Peaks mythos. And um, as I continue my research and magical work, entities like Killer Bob um, coming in as a composite, like with the St. Stephen's thing, uh, the Woodsman coming in as a composite, like with your uh, Serpent Mound um, experience and, you know, Laura Palmer, uh, Carrie Page, and you know the the Teresa Banks thing, uh, Owls. I've had I uh, one time I can't remember which which pod, it might have been the last podcast I did with you. Uh, someone was someone texted me was like I just listened to your podcast and walked outside and found an owl. You know, like so it's like yeah, it's this kind of stuff all the time. Uh, it, you know, like when uh, I first moved into my home before I started getting into any of this, uh, there was an old sycamore. There was a, a, a stone circle at the bottom of our property and it was all covered up by rubbish. And you know, uh, there were twin sycamores placed in the middle of the stone circle, you know, it's like, that's uh it's like the, these things, it's like, they do have a life of their own. They're, they're, they're they are bleeding through and they have they're finding these places uh you know and so yeah you know i it might be that we're all living in in twin peaks world and black lodge world where we're the the black iron prison and we're being kept here because we've been bad and we need to fix our karma <laughs> you know we need to uh quit pulling pulling people away from their purpose uh we need to quit um betraying Sophia and betraying Gnosis, you know? And so that's what we're working through at the deepest levels of our work with LPA and Babylon Kronzon are these, uh, these relationships between, um, between the realms, the intercourse between two worlds and all that. Well, it's fascinating when you sort of think about it, because arguably Cooper's obsession with um, trying to save Laura Palmer is uh, effectively debasing the actual world. It's altering it, Uh, you know, as we sort of, you know, hinted at, you see throughout, especially season three, that his various attempts have essentially altered the timeline in twin peaks the show i mean certain things happen differently Mm -hmm. um you know a good example would be the whole relationship between nadine and big ed which is definitely much different in terms of how she lost her eye just a lot of random things like that so you know it's it's a fascinating notion that cooper in his attempt to try to save her is actually uh working unconsciously as an agent of the black lodge yeah he's not he goes in to the black lodge with with fear in his heart he's his concept of love is not developed enough um and he's lacking something as an initiate so he's he's endlessly manipulated by the denizens of the black lodge even when he thinks he's doing something good he's doing something bad you know and um he's better off um as Dougie doing nothing 
and everything turns to gold, right? There's a sort of a stillness and innocence in Dougie. And then once he uh, re-enters the current, once he remembers who he was uh, on the lower planes, that's when things start to really go, go, go south again, you know? And um, yeah, Janie E obviously is a, uh, a, a doppel or a, a tulpa from the Black Lodge. Um, now, when we talk about Black Lodge, we're talking about uh, an initiatory place, you know, and um, it's certain people commit themselves to the Black Lodge for different reasons. Sometimes as like sort of like a um, as a bodhisattva, you know, in order to do work, in order to, uh, you know, this idea of the great vehicle of uh, Vajrayana or Mahayana buddhism you know this idea that every no one should be saved until everyone's saved and all that kind of stuff so there are sorcerers doing things for supposedly good reasons in the black lodge you know like uh we see that maybe mike is working like that from the black lodge um and the arm the arm but they both their doppelgangers are still haunting as well and cooper is endlessly bounced between not only these experiences with his doppelgangers but also these guys doppelgangers and uh, i think at the end what's what's called for is a sort of a stillness you know um a sort of uh going inward and dealing with that broken mirror reflection in order to uh, cure in a microcosm, macrocosmic way, uh, the reflection that you see outside, you know, that that's uh, far more important to the uh, hero's journey, you know, than going out into the world and trying to save everybody and trying to do all the right things and trying to, <clears throat> evangelize and all this kind of stuff, you know? Um, so I think that's, yeah, that's at the core. And you see this kind of, um, this kind of moralism reflected in sort of like uh, American neoliberalism and stuff like that, that we can uh, save the whole world from their own bad ideas. Uh, well, how well with force and with, you know, <laughs> black magic and all this shit. So it does, doesn't really work, does it? So we have to go back and we have to, we have to be more mature beings and find some stillness. And I think, you know, he would, Lynch would of course go to transcendental meditation for that. There are other ways. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, it's, it's, that's an important, an important point that, um, in bringing Laura Palmer back, something terrible happens to Twin Peaks, something terrible happens. And then they bleed over into our reality for sure. In the end, the house is the, the people in the house are the, the people that, and that actually own the house, you know, when they go back to her home. Um, and there's also this idea that you can't go back home, this idea that nostalgia is its own um, terrible poison as well. Um, at, the, at the beginning of this year, I got turned on to this uh, thing called the Nostalgia Loops. This guy, uh, C.W. Chanter, was, is, he uh, practices what he calls like time travel magic or whatever, and he suggest writing on these nostalgia loops in order to like insert ideas um 
into your life that that maybe can can help you and so you go so like what i wanted to do was go back to 1967 summer of love and kind of uh pull out some of that magic but then you know when i went back and started really looking at 1967 i mean it was a fucked up year man and like everybody you know the whole countercultural thing was was uh, i mean there's some really great stuff that came out of that some great ideas some excellent resurgences of culture but also you know every stone you turn there's a cia maggot crawling underneath it you know what i mean and all these guys definitely who you could call at least metaphorically denizens of the black lodge uh running shit so and i think we've seen that you know this this year uh, there has not been no miracle year this has been uh, a violent uh dangerous year with a lot of terrible resurgences you know so uh, and and a lot of those happen based on nostalgias you know misplaced nostalgias so i think um yeah that's another big part of it um find stillness and beware of nostalgia beware of of going back in the past uh, to uh somehow reclaim what's yours or, or, or a better future. You know, those two things don't typically, uh, don't typically work out together. Yeah. I mean, generally I think that there's, you know, there's not really an actual golden age, which is why nostalgia and a longing for the past fall fails. I mean, every, obviously some errors are better than others, but I mean, there's always failings mm-hmm. in either one. I think the, um, yeah. The trick is to strive for improvement in the now and the present as opposed to trying Absolutely. to recapture something yeah. in the logical past. Yes, fix your own broken mirror, you know, and, and the the depths, the depths of that, uh, you know, it's it's unending, you know, the the brokenness inside and, and, and you what you'll find the deeper you go is your connection to others and their broken mirrors and their projections and all this other kind of stuff, you know, um, it's, uh, it's a very brave expedition, you know, but you, you, that's how you find gold as well. You know, lots of dangerous stuff down in that cave, uh, lots of vitriol and lots of vitriol, lots more vitriol needed, but you have to aim it inward and you have, but you also have to, uh, be able to come back to stillness, love, kindness, compassion, all that good stuff, you know, all that classic, you know, wisdom, the real wisdom, not the, not the, like, uh, not the, not that fake stuff. <laughs> well, it's interesting too. Um, I've been looking a lot at uh, Kubrick's films uh, recently and I think that in the case of both Kubrick and Lynch, uh, part of the reason why their films are so powerful is because uh, there really is a deliberate magical process. I mean, I actually think that a lot of the stuff that you end up seeing in films that does have this sort of magical synchronistical quality is probably unconscious on the part of the filmmakers. Uh, but in the case of Kubrick and Lynch, uh, I mean, I can definitely say in the case of Kubrick, there very much was a use of uh, techniques derived from magic and how he put his films together. But it's especially interesting to me because upon rewatching 
The Shining, I was really struck by how much it seemed that uh, Lynch and Frost, especially at Twin Peaks Progressed, were trying to, I think, really distill that movie into a broader mythos, if you will. Uh, there's just so many parallels, especially with the whole notion of time travel and different dimensions in The Shining. In a lot of ways, uh, Nicholson's Jack Torrance character is a sort of proto version of Cooper, where he's caught in this uh, endless time loop and the overlook. And in a sense, uh, you know, it's kind of hinting at what you're suggesting. In the, it seems that ultimately when he finds a way out, it is to return to this childlike state as Danny, who uh, is able to escape the maze and the Minotaur by retracing his footsteps. Oh, yeah, yeah, I like that. Yeah. Yeah, there, yeah, it is, yeah, you have, you know, but it's a fine line between that innocence and and the nostalgia, you know, it's, <laughs> it really is. And, you know, that's, I think, you know, really that's what, that's what catches. Um, well, I think it's more catches. rediscovering almost the purity that you have in a childlike state was more what Kubrick was going at rather than nostalgia with that. Yeah. 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 Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and then there's the whole, that, that brings us back to the whole uh, Saturn, Jupiter, uh, dialectic that, that runs rough shot throughout twin peaks as well you know um but yeah this this is all all amazing stuff see that's what's so weird is like you know um just all these all these weird connections you know it's like the way this stuff touches people in different ways you know and it's all it's all on the, on the level of like metaphor archetype blah 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 but you know you start really uh translating it by whatever language is given to you in the moment and it really it all starts to come together you know um i think what some people uh you know listening to something like this would will be like dropping acid you know what i mean and for others it's it would be maybe like really scary you know really horrifying um me i'm not that phased by this stuff you know um and and i'm more interested in like reading a language uh, of of the others or of this like deeper reflection of culture you know um but yeah like with this audrey hale thing and the Stephen leon williams thing i mean the the timing and you know what i mean it's just it's so crazy and i think that it lends itself to conspiracy theories and whatnot but um it's i'm not you know what i mean i'm not convinced until i was until i were, were able to actually put my finger on a perpetrator it, it doesn't seem so in a direct sense and i guess that's what i'm saying about magic not always being um intentional like the tangential tangents of uh kenneth grant have you ever heard him talk about tangential tangents no, you no, know, that things kind of bounce off of magical workings, you know, or uh, certain um, confluences of magical of people even and events that uh, are totally irrational in their constellation, except for from the people who you know are meant to see them or whatever you know and i think you know with a lot of the um insanity and stuff that the typhonians that were surrounding him dealt with it was this kind of stuff you know that they would um wake up one morning to like an audrey hale type thing and and the the 
coincidences would start piling up and then they'd be like, oh shit, I did this or, you know what I mean? Um, and so I think, yeah, this is, this is one of those things that can, that can really freak a person out. So <laughs> it's good to talk to you about this. And like, I hope that, you know what I mean? I hope, you know, I hope I, I'm going to uh, try to put some of those woodsmen to bed for you um, here later, actually. And uh, I, just, I just hope you take care. And, uh, you know, I want you to know that I wish the best and I don't want you to be getting in car wrecks or having uh, woodsmen drop uh trees on your house <laughs> you know what I mean? or any of that stuff and i hope your uh, trip to nashville is uh without a van so oh, good sir here's open and i appreciate it man well, <laughs> on that note i guess yeah. we will sign off for now um as always i want to thank you guys so much for listening and support and with that i say to you as always good night and good luck to you all <laughs>
not the droid you're looking for. See you all on payday. See you at the Safeway. Bisbee lives on crazy checks. BP on that fast pay. I sing my hooly blues, y'all. I don't make the rules, y'all. Just paying my dues, y'all. But I'm just saying, sorry, hippies. If Great White Father don't make payroll, forget about your maple. It's just the one thing that ain't too clear. I said people always bitching about the government here. But that war administration's our whole civilization. What? 